Welcome back to another exciting episode of Grimdark Tales, the podcast edition. I'm joined again by the awesome Noel. Hello, awesome Eric. Hello, awesome Noel. <laughs> uh, this is going to be the final episode where we discuss tactics in the Tau Empire Codex. Um, this is going to be just a bit of a quick wrap, wrap up, or maybe it won't be so quick. We'll see how, how long it takes. Hmm. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about the last few things that we haven't really covered in any capacity in this book, uh, which would be the flyer options and the uh, tide wall. So, and, and it's many components. So uh, yeah, let's just, uh, let's just get into this and we can start with the flyers here. Um, so the first flyer in the codex is the uh, AX3 Razor Shark Strike Fighter. Um, I actually, I never talk about Tau Flyers, but I actually think the Tau Flyers have an incredibly cool aesthetic. I think they look really unique. Um, they they kind of have like a, a drone look. They, they look like uh, military drones or something, um, but on like a you know blown up sci-fi scale. I think that they're really cool. Um, but I've never seen one of these in-game. Um, I have looked at them a little bit, their stats and everything, and I've, and I've thought about them a bit, and I've considered buying one, but I don't own one, and I've never seen one on the table. Um, Noel, what are your thoughts on the Razor Shark? Okay, so um, I have luckily been able to see these play on the tabletop. Oh, cool. um, um, Although not very much. And it is. It's one of those things. I think with... I don't think the town codex is alone in this. Um, I think that all flyers... Generally, most players don't buy flyers, or at least um, not in any real meaningful sense that they'll play them regularly in game. Um, mm-hmm. They're kind of a novelty um, and sometimes quite a point sink. And as such, they're not the most... Ever, they're, they're never the most cost efficient, um, yeah. you know, um, especially with eighth edition and the way the game is played. I mean, if everything dies and you're just left with flyers, you've lost. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so that's kind of, it, it is a bit of a risk. Um, that being said, um, I do like, I do like to see flyers in game. Um, I think they have their place. Um, as long as it's not, you know, um, you're doing the whole and again like each of their own but when you're not maxing out like uh you know elder um what's the um psychic the crimson the, the hemlock yeah hemlock right you, you know when you're not spamming that without yeah. adding trace or something like that just to kind of break the game in a tournament <laughs> setting um you know a fly here and there is good and tower flyers are generally speaking actually pretty good yeah um, they i mean you know i mean just i mean agree you know with the look of them as you said they've got that kind of military drone look but blown up and you know you know in that 40k kind of let's make everything just that little crazier <laughs> um, yeah. but it pulls it off quite nicely yeah i like yeah. the nods as well um in the look it has to the piranha 
Um, <laughs> when you look at the main hull for both the um, Razor Shark and the Sun Shark bombers, yeah, um, yeah. you've got the you know that that kind of main hull curved down, which is literally direct nod to the Piranha, right? Um, with just different kind of you know wing setups lately. Um, so again, it just keeps that cohesive feel throughout um, the army. Yeah, uh, which I like. Um, in game, um, I do have to say this one does perform quite well, um, but it, to me, it's not it's not the winner. Um, yeah, and that's kind of just made. It's not mainly down to the stats. I mean, it's got a pretty average um, stat flyer when you compare it to say like uh, the Elder Flyers or even some of the um, Space Marine Flyers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely better than some of the um, um, Imperial Guard flyers. Yeah. Uh, and I'd argue as well, it's better equipped than Necron flyer. Oh, yeah, the Doom Scythe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a Night Scythe and Doom Scythe. Or the Night Scythe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Night Scythe, it's, um, I think this is by far the better option when you can do comparisons. Um, and in the stat line, it doesn't seem that that's the case because, I mean, it's got, you know, it's fast, it's got the, you know, hard to hit rule, so that's always a win. Yep. Um, and the blister skill, while not great, which, you know, it's, it's just in keeping with town. Um, sure. So, you know, it's not too bad at a four up, which degrades only down to a five up anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is quick, it is nippy. And I think um, when it's used correctly, and again, more than one, and you have to kind of equip them out, really. Um, mm-hmm. They're really good. I mean, the quad iron turret is really where the raised shark strike fighter sings yeah um and that's in the fact that um um with that you've got obviously standard ion which you've got two um you know um what's the word i'm looking for <laughs> you've got two stat lines for uh, yeah. um, so you've got the standard you've got the overcharge mm-hmm. and the overcharge is always pretty tasty so you've got strength a ap minus one with d3 damage yep. um obviously you want to not be hitting those hit rolls of one because uh, you suffer a mortal wound but right. when used correctly i mean you've got essentially four strength eight ap minus one d3 damage shots um in a very nippy unit which is very good um again with the raised shark you've got um the options for two seeker missiles mm-hmm. um so again much as we discussed in the other occasions you've got um options for cheap seeker missiles to kind of utilize and spread them about. I'd still say the Piranha probably has it better, uh, just because of the cheapness. Yeah. Um, but it is a quad iron turret. And then if you fork out the extra for the missile pod on top of that, then the damage output for these guys can be pretty good. Um, yeah. I think. Um, but you know, um, that's kind of really how I feel about the strike fighter anyway. Um, what about yourself? I mean, I mean, do you what do you think about the weapon loader? Do you think it works? Do you think it's kind of limiting? Yeah. So, like you said, I think flyers can feel like a bit of a point suck in this edition, um, and I think that this might not look like a great unit on paper um, when you compare it to something that hits as hard as like a Nephilim jet fighter. Mm-hmm. Or uh, or the hemlock, like we mentioned, um, those are so efficient for what they are and do. 
Um, those are sort of like next level damage output. You know, you have a flyer that has smite and these horrific D sides that auto hit and and you know the the leadership debuff. It's like the hemlock is like a super unit. Um, but when you look at the razor shark, I think of it more as like a light support craft. Um, you know, it it's something that would hugely intimidate like infantry um, because it has a relatively decent like rate of fire. It would be good at taking out light, you know, very light vehicles. I think it's sort of like an anti, you know, I think of it as like an anti, uh, I don't know, bike biker unit or an anti like land speeder unit. Um, that that quad ion turret I think is ideal for taking out things like that, mm-hmm. um, especially if you maybe not the land speeder because it has the fly keyword, but you get that extra point to hit when you're shooting at something that can't fly. Yeah. Um, which means it's like a good, you know, air to ground uh, weapon. Um, it's yeah. good against things that have high toughness, but not a decent armor save. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good against like heavy infantry in the form of like ogrins and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But uh, it's not like, I think that the fact that it doesn't have anything other than the seeker missiles to like overtly deal with an enemy tank or something, people will look at it and they think it's not very impressive. Yeah. But I think that the sort of silver lining of it not having like just egregiously offensive weaponry is that it won't end up being that high priority of a target. Mm. Um, it you know they're difficult to to hit. And they're, they're like you said, they're very zippy. So mm-hmm. not everything is going to be in range of them all the time. They're going to do weird maneuvers and sometimes be out of line of sight. And they're just going to be all over the table. And you have the minus one to hit them. And then on top of that, you know, they're a relatively durable chassis. They have twelve wounds, toughness six. It's like you can't just take them down with pot shots. So I feel like a lot of players would probably end up ignoring them. Um, which might actually make them sort of more easily make their points up over the course of a game. Yeah, um, you know, I think that's I think that's where they um, it's 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 that part of it that makes them a bit unsung, and you know what they're used for is exactly what you said. It's um, I mean, for hitting marine equivalents, it can take them out with ease. Yeah. Uh, when you're kind of reliably knocking out, I mean, if you swap the burst cannon for the missile pod, then you're mm-hmm. chucking out without overcharging your six strength, seven shots, uh, AP minus one, um, you know, uh, and then in the case of the missile pod is D3. In the case of the ion, it's one unless you overcharge it. But strength seven, strength eight, anything with a three up save, you then, you know, brings you up to a four up save. So with that amount of shots you're chucking in mm-hmm. I think you could you could you quite easily dent a hole and i think it's that distraction tactic that can make it quite you know make some work because yeah. it is it's, it's not the biggest threat um it's got a nice presence on the tabletop um, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really pose too much when you've got some of the bigger heavy hitters in the rest of the codex right. um right. in your broadsides or um, your battle suits, or your, you know, or even um, you know, a riptide. I mean, you're always going to gun for the riptide over a over a strike fighter. Yeah, exactly, um, and rightly so. Um, but because of that, yeah, 
and then just their sheer speed maneuverability, you can really get them in the back lines, make them that harrying unit. And by having the opponent have to split their fires, really take it down. Yep. Um, it just allows more survivability across the rest of your army. Um, and I think that is literally where the strike fighter comes into its own. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the fact too, that you don't actually, the seeker missiles are just, they start on it, which means like you don't even have the option to choose whether or not it takes them and whether or not you want to call that a positive in a way, I feel like it is because it like reduces the stress of having to consider whether or not you're going to pay for those missiles. Mm. Um, they're just on there and yeah. it seems likely that you will take advantage of them if you're going to run a model like this. So mm. I feel like it just, it's like it makes a decision for you that is a good decision that you don't have to make for yourself like you would have to do with piranhas or broadsides or whatever else can take seeker missiles as an option yeah yeah i think that's i think that's i think that's agreed so um, and it is one of those things as well you can make them very survivable um in that if you don't manage to take it out you can use some stratagems as well to really um you know make it more of a pain in the ass to deal with uh, mm -hmm. so in the you've got the automated repair system yep. so while usually most people use that for you know their key um, battle seat units it does count for anything with the vehicle keyword right uh, so being able to regain d3 lost wounds um is a pretty amazing thing. Um, so you can use that to its advantage quite well, I think. Um, the other one as well is um, for one CP, um, this one that, again, it's a great one to have, but it's very rarely used, I think, in games because most people just don't take tower vehicles, mm -hmm. um, which is a point defense targeting relay. So obviously, oh, yeah. um, if someone's going to charge your um, vehicle or flyer, um, yeah. then what, you can overwatch it on a five or six. Mm -hmm. um, so again, you know, while it's, it's, you're still relying on five or sixes, when you're overwatching with strength seven weaponry, yeah. um, you can make that overwatch hurt. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, which I think is um, a pretty powerful thing as well. And with uh, that rate of fire too, you're likely to at least... You know, get one hit on the on the target, if not two. Yeah, and if you're going, and if you're doing that, then you might as well be using the um, the overcharge um, parts of it as well, um, because you know, overwatching with tower, you might as well hell mary it anyway, because right. you know you're not going to survive past in, in combat. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> as much as we want it, want them to, um, you know, it just rarely happens. Right, so right. Um, by doing that, then kind of, you know, being able to technically, you know, you could chuck out quite happily, um, you know, D3 wounds um, on kind of, you know, multi-wound models that you're going to be doing um, or, you know, the slightly tougher ones. You can, you, you can knock something out quite easily. Um, I mean, all it takes is a plucky shot and, you know, I mean, you're killing off, um, you know, I mean, for example, um, I mean, not the case of it, you'd be able to do that with, um, um, against a flyer, but, you know, say a custodial or anything else with three wounds, yep. you, you've got that potential to basically just reduce one, and which is, you know, quite critical. Oh yeah, definitely. So for, for those higher, for those higher wound models. Um, so yeah, I think kind of, yeah, it's, um, it's good. 
It's um, it, yes. Is it is it the most cost effective? No. Will you see them in tournaments? Really? No. Would you have a lot of fun with them in in a standard game of 40k? Yeah, I, I think you know you take a couple of these along and um, just kind of like change your um, list a little bit, um, especially if you're playing a very mobile army anyway and you're yeah. not gunline town. Then you know, yeah, just having those um, having those multiple threats to spread across and having to make your opponent really decide on um what's going to be the best thing to take down um i think it'd be i I think it's pretty good and they'll serve you well yeah no i totally agree um i would say you know situationally and exactly the way you just described i think they they really do have a place and i think in casual games they are a great option because they're so rarely seen but i think that they are a lot of fun flyers in general can be a lot of fun Mm. And uh, they can really mix up the state of the game, I think, because they change the dynamism on the table so dramatically. Mm. Um, so I think that it's always fun to sort of incorporate a flyer. Not to mention, you know, the flyers, taking flyers in a towel list, I think, is almost like a way to reinforce anyone that's choosing to use like a Cold Star commander. Um mm. You know, if you don't want your cold star to just be a bomb that is, you know, kamikazes across the table and is killed, um, if you give him some some models between himself and the enemy, uh, you can create a situation where he's actually much more survivable. Um, mm. And you're not necessarily just throwing away the flyer either. You really have to, I think situations like that really make your opponent have to think and then it makes them feel like they don't have any good choices. And that can, that can give you an edge for sure. Um, yeah. So if you can cast that doubt in your opponent's minds, then you can really capitalize on that. Um, right. And yeah, and that's a good unit to do it with. And technically, although we talked about it previously um, and kind of thinking there's no real synergy, uh, I think you've just touched on literally the best synergy for it, uh, mm-hmm. the Cold Star, which is kind of, yeah, to, to, to have them supporting the Flyers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you can use those, um, if you can use those command buffs, you know, like uh, with a Monko or Kalyan, um, along with the, um, along with the Flyers, then again, you can, you can pull out some neat tricks, really. Yeah. Uh, especially when, um, you know, um, for example, with the Seeker missiles, um, you know, the fact they're being heavy anyway. So, you know, in order to really capitalize on them, you have to kind of like keep still. But, you know, you've got them within range of a commander, then you're not got a minus for those one hit um, weapons that you do get with the mm-hmm. sequence. So, yeah, again, it just, it just makes them more effective. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, I think a nice little unlooked for synergy that we just kind of, you know, uh, you just hit on, really. <laughs> Stumbled <laughs> upon that one. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it just came to me, really. But I think that that does seem like if you're going to use your Cold Star and you don't just want him to get shot off the table, uh, that seems like a pretty, a pretty interesting idea, I think. Um, okay, so that's the Razor Shark. Um now we'll go on to, I think this is sort of the beefier option, really, of the two. Mm. Uh, the AX-39 Sunshark Bomber. Um, this guy, I think, has some tastier options in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, 
it has some pretty substantial damage output, and it also has sort of multiple ways to cause damage in in a way that the Razor Shark doesn't have. Mm. Um, and because the strategy that I just came up with, impromptu, um, I think this unit would still work perfectly fine uh, with that tactic. So really, this is like interchangeable with that unit for for the purposes of like augmenting your uh, Cold Star Commander. But yeah. as far as what this unit can just do on its own, uh, we can go into it now. Um, mm. No, what are your thoughts on the uh, Sun Shark Bomber? Uh, so with, with, with the series of, um, talks we've had, um, there's been a few, uh, units where, where it does come around to revisiting the town, um, which I will be doing next year. Um, there are some units, which I'm just going to get, uh, I'll get a few of them. So that way I can play with these new tactics. So, um, one of them, and we obviously have not talked about until now is the Sunshine Bomber. Mm. Uh, Again, because you don't see flies very much, um, I think it could be an unknown quantity for an opponent, but the versatility I think you get in the Sunshot Bomber does far outstrip the Strike Fighter. Um, and that is literally because of the weapon loadout and how you can utilize that to best effects. Mm-hmm. Um so with the quad iron turret you get on the strike fighter, obviously you've got an assault four weapon at 30 inch range. Um, and that's pretty much the same with the iron rifles you get on the drones for the Sunshot Bomber. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they're attached to the drone essentially gives that just an extra versatility, which is um I think unheard of really for with anything for anything else. And it's um it's these little idiosyncrasies that Sunshine Bomber have, I think, just make it shine because you can detach those drones at any point. Obviously, and while it's attached to the actual um, bomber itself, um, it gains the extra in the ballistic skill. Um, yeah. So you probably want them there, at least until kind of, you know, that bomb is, you know, struggling really. Right. Um, but while it's on there, obviously, you've got two iron rifles, a rapid fire. So, you know, within 15 inches, which is not unreasonable to get within for, you know, something that's so nippy, mm-hmm. um, you can be dishing out just on the drones themselves, um, you know, um, without overcharging. You've got four strength seven, AP minus one, one damage shots. Um, you overcharge that and that turns into a heavy D3. So that's two four six eight so that's eight shots which kind of equals the strike fighter uh yeah. with the charge um but then you're not talking about d3 damage you're talking about a flat two on the iron rifle yeah so you're actually making statistically averaging you're kind of you know when you get those shots go through they're going to cause more hurt yeah uh, um which is really nice i think um and that's just something that's detachable. And then you can have them nipping around. Then it's their own unit. So you can harry other parts of your opponent's army um, just by giving them that sort of one extra um, kind of almost wasp that they have to kind of like swap before dealing with something else. Yeah. Um, which I think would be really good um, because when you've got a drone essentially equipped with an iron rifle, that's a quite a nasty zippy unit in its own right. Yeah. Considering the interceptor drones also have a 20 inch range. Um, yeah. 
So even when they're detached, they're not kind of a standard drone. They're only, you know, well, eight inches, there's no slouch. It's um, these guys are just, you know, they can be across the board and really not where your opponent wants them to be quite quickly on their own right. Yep. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of, I think, the staple weaponry. So having that as a detachable thing is great. The fact it also comes with a marker line, um, and that's, again, just kitted straight in. Um, it's just an extra source, mm-hmm. uh, which is helpful. Um, the fact that you can then equip it with two missile pods, it comes with one, and you can give it an extra. Yep. So that's another four potential um, strength seven, AP minus one, D3 hits. Yep. Again, so it just the damage output, I think, is just generally higher. Um, and then again, um, you know, it comes with, um, you know, two seeker missiles as well. And again, that's just kitted out as is standard straight out of the box. Um, so it just has more guns to play with, I think. Um, and that's before you even get to the pulse bomb. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, um, I mean, just to read it out, um, you obviously fly over an enemy unit in the movement phase. You can pick one of those units. Um, you roll a D6 for each model in that unit up to a maximum of 10 D6. And you add one to the results if the enemy has the infantry keyword. For all of the five plus, Saga suffers a mortal wound. So for any of those horde units or those full strength 10 um, units, kind of your opponent's fielding straight from the off, you could potentially cause quite a massive amount of hurt because what you're doing is basically on a 50-50, you know, you're basically causing five mortal wounds on average yep. on a 10-man unit. It's crazy. Um, that's that, that. That's not bad. And then yep. say you equip, well, not, not equip, but you take two or three of those in your army mm-hmm. and you're basically, you know, you're zipping them across, you know, say one unit specifically, there's that one unit you just have to remove. Yeah. You know, so yeah, you attack from different angles. You charge three of these blighters over that one unit. Mm-hmm. Say that unit of 10, I don't know, let, let, let's, let, let's pull something out of the bag and just say it is, or not even a unit of 10, say you've got a unit of uh, five custodian guards. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's ten, technically you're rolling out 15 dice yep. against a squad of five custodian guards. So yeah. you've obviously got to hit with every one of them, but technically that squad of five custodian guards, you know, you're you're just you're you're pretty much removing half of them um it, with one attack run <laughs> it's crazy yeah um and the beauty about it is it's it's like it's not a one-shot wonder with a pulse bomb uh, right. yeah. you know so i mean basically assuming they're not you're then kind of you know attacked or kind of blown out of the sky because all of a sudden it's just like wow this is unseen poor threat uh, you know, um, you've got a you, you can do it all over again. And for an army that across the deck suffers um, from being able to dish out mortal wounds reliably, um, this is literally your best option in the entire decks. Yeah. Uh, I know you that you've got potential in destroyer missiles, and there's a few other things with rails. Yeah. Um, but point for point being able to just basically just run these over units and just just dish out 
dish out mortal wound after mortal wound. I mean, custodians is maybe a bad kind of example even. I mean, you know, say you've got 10, 10 Necron Immortals, for example. Yep. Um, you know, they're fairly tanky. They're saving on a three-up. Even, you know, Lich Guard or something, if we're going for Necrons or something else. I mean, you know, um, even Primaris, and you know, you talk about two wounds apiece. Uh, squad of 10 Interceptors, for example, um, you know, run these over and, you know, you can pretty much delete the unit. <laughs> or a unit uh, of, 20, of 20 Gene Stealers, you know, something with an involved save that you absolutely don't want getting into your lines. Yeah. You're, you're getting 30 chances to, uh, to cause mortal wounds, which yeah. on average is 15 mortal wounds. It's like... Yeah. You're, you're deleting the unit pretty yeah much. you're making it you're at least making the unit like nearly useless at that point yeah, yeah. unless you roll is so bad you just want to kind of well i mean if you're rolling that bad and i have before you know that's the kind of game where it just like doesn't matter what you do you're gonna die. <laughs> exactly <laughs> but, you know, uh, yeah just take it on the average it's just like you know on a four up on any infantry you're dealing out that amount of mortal wounds yeah it's it's kind of a given. And I think kind of, I, again, it's one of those units when you look at it realistically mm-hmm. um, and while on paper, it might not seem the most cost effective. I think, again, the damage output this thing can deliver um, is just, again, it's one of those units. I just look at it more and more and I think, why isn't anyone using these? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it just has such a utility that I don't think you can find anywhere else in the decks. And it's in something that's so mobile and again, quite just, just nippy, you know, it's got the hard to hit rule. Yep. Um, you know, <laughs> it's it, it, again, it's just, it's, it's got a, it's got a resilience there that you can, you know, you can really make it shine and sing. Yeah. Um, and also with the ion guns, it does have been detachable. It means that, you know, if that flyer looks like it's going to go um, and it hasn't been wiped out, attach the drones, there you go. I mean, if the, if the, if the bomber goes, then it doesn't really matter. Uh, yeah. or, it, or, you know, it does, but only in the extent of kind of, you know, you're, you're not losing then all of its capacity because uh, then you've still got a unit of two drones that you, you need to take out. Um, and that's per, per bomber. Yeah. So I think you field like two, three of these in an army. Um, you can have a really devastating, hard hitting um, air wing um, yeah. that I think a lot of other um, bombers um, that you get in the game um, or even fighters um, just don't really manage to compare to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, this th- th- this guy is um, definitely one I'll be um, taking taking on in the future. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I pretty much agree with with everything you said here. I think the Sun Shark might be like one of the better bomber flyers in the game, even um, with that pulse bomb, uh, because it's not a finite resource. Uh, as long as the vehicle still is on the table, it can drop pulse bombs, and that is not uh, universally true across all of the things that have like a bomb they can drop. Um, I would say maybe the, the next best one that, it, that I can think of is the uh, void Raven for the Drakari. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, it's got a similar utility in the, in, in the bomb that that drops. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not only is that things bomb really powerful, but it also is like a hyper, an annoyingly resilient vehicle, I think because it has a involved save and, 
its regular guns are really scary too. So I feel like the Void Raven is like kind of in a league of its own when it comes to the bombers, but I feel like the Sun Shark might be the next best one that I can think of for damage output. Yeah, um, and I think that's only just literally. It's it's like with the um, the hemlock. It's just because uh, you know for some reason. Well, for some reason, Elder. You know, I mean, everyone talks about Space Marines being the golden boys, but really, I mean, you look at it on paper. I mean, Elder get all the toys, and yeah. it's just because reasons. <laughs> it's, it's just they always have just something extra, which is just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Um, they've got uh, they've got plot tenure because they've yeah. been around for so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but, you know, I mean, yeah, disc, I mean, the Sunshark Bomber, I think, yeah, when you compare it to the Void Raven, definitely comes, uh, a, you know, a very close second. Yeah. Uh, um, and that's only because, again, it just doesn't have the involve. But when you're looking at kitting this whole thing out, Yep. You know, so again, two seeker missiles, two interceptor drones, knocking out, you know, reliably a close rate of 15 inches, you know, four strength seven, strength eight shots. Yep. Two missile pods, so you've got another four strength seven shots if you're going to give it another one, plus the Markalite. That comes in at 163 points. Yeah, which is definitely cheaper than... Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking about, you know, pretty much it's... Are just a little bit cheaper than a broadside. Yep, I think that's all kitted out, which uh, is crazy. Mm. Um, because that's a ton of damage. Um, I guess broadsides inherently can have a lot of survivability because you can sort of just castle them up and make them really hard to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and whereas the sun shark sort of has to be out in the open to do what it it does. Um, I would say that it. It does run the risk of being a much higher priority target than the um, than the other flyer, yeah. um, just because it has so much damage output. But the thing is, too, you can catch opponents off guard so easily because no one takes Tau flyers seriously. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you can at least get one good turn in of um, full damage output from a Sun Shark before your opponent more often than not will catch on to what they're dealing with mm. um and then in addition to that uh, yeah but even then yeah we're minus one to hit which um you know other units don't have plus fact you talk about 12 wounds a pop yeah they're not easy to bring down yeah. um and and the um another benefit of those drones if you're planning on doing that uh, sort of cold star uh flight wing thing that we're talking about here um, those drones can be can do savior protocols for your commander. Yeah. Um, so in you know like a in a cheeky moment in a in a clutch sort of situation, you could if you detach those drones, you could actually create a situation where your commander becomes that much harder to kill, even after they've cleared out the other flyers to be able to shoot at them. Mm-hmm. So um, you know as long as you're careful with the positioning of the drones and making um, if you can find a way to make the drones be out of line of sight, but still near your cold star commander, um, you're creating a very, very cagey situation, uh, mm. for your opponent. Yeah. I, I, it's actually a really, it's, it's a clever tactic. I can kind of see it. You, you, you rush the cold stars and, um, the cold star kind of, you know, and the, uh, the bombers up, mm-hmm. uh, second go detach the drones, 
um you know yeah and you're kind of like literally in the in the opponent's back line you've got a cold star commander all of a sudden um <laughs> quit that cold star with a drone controller as well so then that drone is also then still still hitting on four ups yeah exactly uh, before marker light support and um yeah all of a sudden it's kind of that's quite um that's quite a heavy threat <laughs> yeah 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 i think so too hmm. um and if you give your oh, before I say this, I guess I should confirm. Do you do you remember if through Unity devastation affects drones? Uh, through Unity devastation. Let's have a quick look, just so I don't mess this up for the. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um, I think through Unity dev. Um, I think it's for, for literally anything, anything within range of the commander. Yeah, no, it's friendly sept units. Yep. So yeah. the drone, the drone would apply. Yeah, the, yeah, because the drone has a set keyword. So um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, if you put through Unity devastation on your Cold Star battle suit, mm -hmm. uh, you could potentially be getting um, AP minus two on those shots as well. So yeah. if you do sort of a really hyper aggressive bomb. Which is really cool, actually, because this sort of like supersedes the um, denial of the Alpha Strike that I feel like mm -hmm. has been really prevalent in Eighth Edition since they changed the Deep Strike rules. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everything's become sort of a Beta Strike, like a Turn Two thing. Yeah. Um, but this actually is a way to do a really hard first turn assault um, if you combine. Uh, sort of a flyer wing of, of two or three of these bombers with your Cold Star commander. You use Montcaw with with all of them um, to get them up the table without penalty. Then you overcharge all their ion uh, rifles and you're dropping the pulse bombs. Um, and then at the end of the turn, they have to destroy these bombers to even get to your commander. And he has a drone controller and through Unity Devastation. Mm. That's actually a really serious threat if you consider that, like, you still have a whole army that's also backing that up with yeah. firepower. Yeah. And also just realizing kind of, you know, um, with the um, strike, uh, with, 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 the, with the Razor Shark compared to the Sun Shark Bomber. Yeah. Uh, and the Razor Shark obviously has 12 wounds, as does mm -hmm. the Sun Shark. But because you can detach the drones, you've essentially got two extra wounds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in the drones. So, um yeah, it's, it, it is. It's just that utility, just being able to detach, I think is, and um, yeah, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm going to have to give this a shot. This is <laughs> really, um, I mean, I'm intrigued to see how that one works. Yeah, I am too. Um, yeah, couple it with, um, you know, a few of the other things we've talked about, like maybe wild tactics with, um, you know, a few piranhas or anything, all of a sudden you've got a really big threat range from, you know, um, what would be considered usually a gunline army. Yeah, uh, technically first turn, you can just like rush everything up, unleash all the missiles, and all of a sudden there's a lot of high strength seven eight weaponry pretty much in your opponent's grill on the first turn. Yeah, um, which can be just devastating. It's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> you that's can really lock down like someone's flank or you know um, first wave. Yeah, uh, and just completely neuter it. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, if you use Montcar with your Cold Star Commander. Mm -hmm. And you advance with him. You have a 40-inch move uh, without penalty to your firing. So mm -hmm. if you give him, like, three fusion and a drone controller, mm -hmm. uh, he's got three fusion shots hitting on twos. 
any marker light support will turn that into uh, re-rolling ones. Mm -hmm. And you've got, you know, assuming you, you do this with three sun sharks, mm -hmm. then you've got three pulse bombs dropping. You've got, uh, and, and the speed of the interceptor drone, I mean, they have a 20 inch move. Yeah. So they can like keep up with your cold star, even after they detach. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much the, the, the perfect synergy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea. Like, it's so funny, like talking about, I had no idea I was going to fall into this <laughs> sort of train of thought. It's like, so, 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 so addendum to like, you know, the uh, HQ discussion we had. Yes. Like, yeah. Where there's just like, there was no synergy in the cold star. It's just like, you're just kamikazing it. We can't see any other reason. Um, this is the reason. So yeah, this is yeah. your reason to take yeah. a cold star. Yeah. I so like every, people of the world. <laughs> Towel, unite and and buy all the bombers basically yeah, just buy all the sun sharks you can get i mean yeah. like you know i'm not saying this is going to win tournaments but this is a super valid strategy in normal games i think mm. um and also just so unprecedented i've never seen anyone do anything like that and i feel like it would catch so many players off guard yeah, all it would need is uh, again, it's just like, and if your opponent deployed, kind of leaving an opening anywhere as well, you could just capitalize that and just literally just fire a wedge into their into their into their um, into their field, basically, and their yeah. their lines. You just you just open up an entire section of their army. Um, yeah, yeah, it could just capitalize on that so badly. Yeah, if they leave any gaps, you you could just punish them so hard. Hmm. That's crazy. And you wouldn't even have to actually cross their lines to start doing it, because as long as you're getting close and you're keeping your commander not the closest thing, hmm. you're creating such a dangerous offensive wedge that has to be dealt with. And then like even if they do it, the, you have your whole back line. Mm. that is still going to be there. I mean, like, this isn't going to take all your points to do this. No. I mean, um, it's, it's pretty much the perfect distraction card effects because your opponent has to, it just has to deal with it. It has to deal with it, yeah. There's <laughs> no way they can ignore that many mortal wound potentials and uh, just all the damage output that can be caused by, I mean, three of these things? That is no joke. That's mm. six seeker missiles. It's three extra marker lights in your army. When you're augmenting it with a cold star commander who's also your warlord and that's the other thing is even if they clear out all the stuff between your commander and them it's mm -hmm. like you can you probably he'll still survive like in most circumstances i think you the opponent wouldn't be able to bring down three sunshark bombers and a cold star commander mm -hmm. um in a single round of fire so like and and once that happens, you can literally just jump your commander back forty inches, and he'll be back in your line, and yeah. they can't hit him. So it's like <laughs> the most annoying target they could possibly have. <laughs> Super frustrating. <laughs> yeah, but awesome, so awesome. Um, wow, this is really exciting. I'd never even thought of this. Yeah. Um, oh, that's cool. I know, I'm, I'm so doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I really want to try it now. I'll, maybe I'll try it with proxies first, but uh, yeah, that is super cool. Um, yeah, okay, so that's the Sun Shark. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to say about that guy? 
no, I think we covered it. Like, and, and, and then some. Like, yeah, yeah, more than like, I was. I've, I've literally walked away from this conversation with like a brand fresh new tag. I mean, I was going to get them anyway, but just with that synergy, it was just like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have to, I have to give that a shot. It's just, yeah. it's, it, it's too funny not to at least give it one, one go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My my synapses are firing now. I'm really jazzed about that idea. Um, okay, so yeah, that was the Sun Shark, and that concludes the flyers. Um, there's only two options, but that's honestly, I think, pretty normal uh, across the board for you know non-space marines. Um, mm-hmm. That's about the number of flyers a lot of the factions have, and um, I don't feel like the tower lacking in the flight department at all. Um, I think they have a a pretty at least can go toe to toe with other army flyers mm-hmm. and um not feel underwhelming or like there's no point to taking them and especially with what we just came up with with the sun shark here I think yeah. um that provides a whole new depth of strategy I had never even considered and it makes flyers actually seem super valid for the tau Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I never really thought about it too much before. I wanted to get the Sunshine Bombers because of the Pulse Bombs. Yeah. And, and that versatility, but I just didn't even realize that synergy existed. And that's just that's just the icing on the cake. <laughs> yeah. You can really make that. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited for that one. Yeah, that's super, super yeah. awesome. And then I will laugh when it inevitably goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. When you I, will have, I, I will have such fun doing. <laughs> yeah, it'll be the most fun failure you've ever had. Yeah, um, I'd still be there just going, totally worth it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, watching the, the Hindenburg come down with a huge smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that's the Flyers. And then on to the last thing in this book that we haven't really discussed in any capacity, which is the Tide Wall. Mm. So the Tide Wall is the Tau's fortification option. Um, it's kind of cool they even have this. Uh, some factions didn't have anything like this um, in their books, anything that's like a building. Um, some have been added sort of post-codex, like the Webway Gate for the Eldar, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. But this has been around since the previous edition. Um, and I remember the Tidewall actually being like super scary in seventh edition uh, when used in some, in some capacity, but I've never seen it be used in eighth edition. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tidewall to me is amazing because it's basically the Tau's version of defensive terrain, which yeah coming from someone who is filming games and making narrative uh, stories out of their games and stuff, that is invaluable to me that that exists. Yeah. Um, and I really, I want to buy like three more of these. I have, I have a huge tide wall thing that I bought. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. And I still haven't painted it, uh, but I did assemble it and it's amazing to have on the table. It adds so much character to a, a Tau gun line. Even if you're just using it as like cover, and not using the rules. I think it's so cool to have it. Um, but we're here to talk about the rules. So, uh, <laughs> no, uh, what's your experience with the tide wall, if any, and what do you think about it? Uh, so I've never used it. And this, this, this harkens back to kind of just, again, because I'm a fast on place player and I play a very mobile game. Yeah. Um, this just doesn't really sit with my army. 
um, only because obviously it's 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 best utility is used when you're playing gunlines out. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, hands down. Um, but then when if you're doing that. You kind of can't go wrong. I mean, it, it has, um, again, I think in seventh it was scary. I think in this edition, while it is a point sink, um, mm-hmm. if you're going to go gun line, you can really utilize so many aspects of um, the different parts of the uh, the shield wall yeah. um, to just great effect. Um, and just, you know, just make it something truly special because it is great to look at on the board. I mean, every time I've um, had a game with it, it's been, you know, just uses general scenery. Yeah. Uh, and thematically it's beautiful because it's just, it looks the part, it's distinctly tau, it's got that curvature that kind of, you know, you read about in the lore and the books and everything. Yeah. And, um, it, it, it does. It just looks the part, and so many other armies just don't have anything even close, really. I mean, again, you know, they're added kind of, you know, post, and it's it, it's kind of like an almost like an afterthought in comparison to what the Tau have. Uh, I mean, you've got something in the Orcs with the kind of the, the mech workshop now, right? Uh, yeah. But you know, I mean, it's and even the Webway Gate, it's it's short shrift in comparison to what the Tidewall can deliver for your army. Yes, yeah, uh, absolutely. In my eyes, anyway, because um, you just got it, just adds so many levels of versatility uh, to any gun line um, and can really make it a daunting prospect to face. Um, so, I mean, with the shield, with the shield line itself, I mean, um, I've never used them. Um, I have seen them being used again in games like in tournaments, and it can be used to great effect. I mean, I remember in seventh, the shield line to try and hit it or the unit kind of standing on it um, was a very scary prospect because there was a very big chance that you would just get smacked back. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it still exists now. Um, I mean, for each. Um, I mean, let's, yeah. So let's see. Let's see the rules for it. So the tidewall field. Yes. Which what made it really scary in seventh. And this edition is now it can reflect the shots back to your enemy. So for each unmodified save of a six you make in the shooting phase for a Tidewell shield line, uh, the attacking unit suffers one mortal wound after they finish shooting. Yep. So I, I need to probably read it a little bit more, but from what I get from this, the enemy has to specifically target the tidewall field. Yeah. Not the unit on it. Yeah. Well, they can't target the unit that's in the tidewall. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it's is. as if you're in a vehicle, basically like an open topped vehicle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it is there. Yeah. So, okay. So in that case, yeah, it's just me not reading properly. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Read your book, kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, um, so that's me put back to school. Um, but yeah, no, so in that case, yeah, it's still the same. Um, so any unmodified save you make of six, boom, back at you. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 like the uh, very similar to the cast on a robot uh, mm-hmm. rule, which I think a lot more people are familiar with than the Tidewall because um, they're much more popular. But it's it's very much the same effect. Um, and it definitely makes the prospect of shooting at them a little more threatening. Mm. Um, at least it makes you have to be a lot more choosy with what you are shooting at them with. Yeah. Um, because if you're shooting at them with like uh, a sniper or something, then you could just kill your sniper. 
so you don't want to lose, you know, you don't want to shoot valuable or even like high rate of fire things um, can be really scary. It's, mm. it's much safer to try to fire like a big, you know, a LAS cannon at it or something and, and just hope that they don't get that save or whatever. Yeah, um, you need to use your big heavy hitters to kind of really take a, a, a shield line down. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and again, this is the beauty of it because if you're going to utilize like the whole, uh, the whole kit, um, it's only one part of it mm-hmm. that is ever going to get taken down. But that one part of it, generally, you've got at least like a couple of them. Um, and just, yeah, I mean, so a 10 wounds. Yep. It's, you know, toughness six, got a four up save. You need to really hit it with your heavy hitters. Um, and those heavy hitters then aren't going into the rest of your army. So, I mean, you know, while you can put infantry on the shield line, you know, I mean, things like your riptides, you know, anything, any of the other um, really big things mm-hmm. that you probably want to put those last cannons at, you have to then utilize this to kind of really tackle it as a threat. Or, yeah. You know, basically crack open the shell so you can then kind of you know attack the rest of the wall um with a bit more impunity um, yeah otherwise so yeah that's a huge deal because it makes the enemy spread out their heavy fire and have to shoot at your infantry with their heavy weapons first which Mm -hmm. can be a target prioritization nightmare for people um Mm -hmm. When you're having to use big guns on on light infantry, it's like, especially when you're fighting an army like Tau, where they have so many battle suits uh, at their disposal and vehicles, it's like basically anything that isn't in a in a tide wall is something that you would want to shoot a last cannon at. Yeah. Um, so if the if you have your squishy stuff in these tide walls, you're creating a problem where everything is basically a big chunky piece of armor. Mm-hmm. And it makes their, not only their small arms fire frustratingly underpowered against you, but it also makes it so that every time they're trying to get rid of your infantry, they're taking effort away from being able like either they're wasting small arms fire on something that they can't really hurt because they don't want to waste their heavy uh anti-armor shots on the tide wall and they'd rather shoot at priority targets like riptides and stuff and then they never chew through the tide wall and then your infantry are just safe all game or they do focus fire the tide wall and then they're not shooting at your big scary stuff so it's like a win-win really for for anyone that's playing with with these things and yep. the only problem is just that it is a it's a point suck so mm. you know it's this it's this contemplation of like how many of these can you take to have it still reach that apex of efficiency yeah. um, and and you know you can still have enough units to back up this defensive line you've made you can have enough guns coming out of it um so that's always sort of a trade-off and it's something you have to decide for yourself but it does seem very valid i think the tide wall seems very valid mm. yeah no, i'd say so i think kind of yeah if you've got a couple like protecting your gun line i think it's um that's probably the sweet spot you're aiming for yeah because uh, they're not too chunky at those points um 
but it's it, it, I think kind of you know if you're even considering the tide wall um, or any you know in any of it um, really you, you you kind of you, you've already committed to yeah. uh, um, you know a way of a way of playing a game that you just kind of have to follow through. Um, so you have to do, you have to do a gun line. Um, you can't really you know go half asked about it. Um, yeah. You have to, you have to commit to you have to commit to the gun line right. uh, and kind of all it can do. Um, so yeah, I'd say a couple of them would probably be the sweet spot because um, again, it's like you know the one thing. It's like it's not like you can even chuck one uh, las cannon at it and just call it done because obviously even if you strike good. Um, and you get that magical six damage. Yeah, you know, it's still on for wins. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it doesn't so, suffer for for taking damage. It doesn't. It has no reduced profile. Yeah. So, um, yeah. one thing that I really like about all the tide wall pieces together too is it speaks again to the fact that even a Tau gunline army can be surprisingly mobile because yeah. the tide wall, despite being a fortification, can move six inches a turn. So your whole gun line can actually just sort of float towards the enemy uh, or away from them. Um, even though you're, it's almost like you're moving your terrain along the board with you, which is, I think, super cool. Yeah. Uh, and it's also super unique to the Tau. Um, I, I can't think of anything quite like this with other factions. Um, but but it, it speaks to that ability of the Tau, even when you're creating a gunline army, that you can move forward and not lose that efficiency. Um, you know, you can combine your moves with marker light support, and uh, you can use Montka, and you can do all these things to sort of nullify that, what would be sort of a hindrance in, in you having to chug forward to, to get some objective or to get in range or whatever you have to do. Mm. You you don't have to stress as much about that. You don't have to come out of the of the shell you've made. You can just take it with you. Yeah. Uh, which I think is so cool. You can sort of tortoise forward, you know? Yeah. And I got it's it's just one of those. Um I st I don't get you wrong. I think for me, um it, the whole the whole tide wall has its place more in fluffier games. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. But um, I, I think I think kind of you know just as that kind of outset, you can you can use them to just such a great effect. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I do I do love it about that. I remember the um, the first time they got released, and you saw them with the beginning of the Damocles Crusade book. Yeah, and there was like a whole series of um, missions. Which just played across that you could do, and like one of them was literally just utilizing the um, the tidal gun line, and you know the fact that it just moved across, um, and kind of you can kind of almost envelop um, your opponent, yeah, as well. Um, I mean, if you're kind of like leading them down the middle, I mean, obviously it's a very kind of it's it's not a tactic that your opponent will probably do very often, but you know if your opponent was to literally just march straight through the middle, um, then you know if you had a long enough line, um, you could pretty much just surround them. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you know, like 
last last stand of the OK Corral kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, like literally the walls closing in on you. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that would be no, that would be an amazing thing to see. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, just like you just literally have to battle out of it uh, like a last stand scenario and just surround yeah. by these walls so uh, cool. yeah. but um, but yeah no I think um, I, th- I think it's it's definitely the good staple to have in the tide wall um, I think definitely yeah, two of them in the sweet spot but that's kind of all I've got really to, to, to say about them I think they're just um, they definitely have a versatility and um, keeping your um, your light infantry um, you know just so survivable yeah um, and that in its own is kind of you know just uh, speaks wonders for them yeah yeah absolutely um, I think there's just two more things I want to point out because the, I think the tide wall is sort of something that I would use before you would based on our army compositions um (laughs) and uh even even then i think i've only used the tide wall in like one or two games as a a tide wall and not just terrain um but it was i loved it when i used it it's such a unique thing to have access to and um two things that i wanted to mention is the supremacy railgun on the gun rig portion of the tide wall Mm -hmm. uh is kind of the version of railgun that I wish we saw on the hammerhead. Um, Mm -hmm. It has two shots instead of one. Uh, It's strength 10, AP minus four, D six damage. And on a six up to wound, it does D three mortal wounds. Mm -hmm. So it's those two shots. I think that is so essential. Um, It actually, it's still, I know we already talked about it, but it does kind of blow me away that the, Mm-hmm. Hammerhead didn't get the uh, fire twice if you move under half speed yeah. um, the way that other tanks did because I feel like it needed it more than other tanks honestly and mm-hmm. it, and it was the lead, it was the only one to not get it in that sort of family um, but that being said I think that the supremacy railgun is sort of like the big mega railgun that you want to use and. Uh, I definitely think it's valid to take in this capacity too, uh, mm-hmm. when you're like incorporating it into your your tide wall, because um, it's definitely a scary gun and it's another potential for mortal wounds. But mostly, it's just a way to make an infantry unit a lot pricklier. Yeah. Um, towards like it's basically like you're giving an infantry unit a really heavy anti-tank weapon, um, or you're essentially putting them in an open-top vehicle. Uh, so the, um, other thing that I wanted to say is that a strategy that I kind of feel like this would help a lot, the tide wall is breachers specifically, mm-hmm. um, because you kind of anticipate that the tide wall is going to be either charged or the target of very close range assaults, yeah. um, because it's sort of your frontline defensive structure. So it affords your breachers a means of moving up the table without just getting shot. And it also has more flexibility than the devilfish because they don't have to get out to fire their guns. So I think that it's sort of one of the safer ways to use breachers if you're going to use them at all is to throw them in a tidewalled shield line and just sort of run them up the table like that. 
a couple squads of 10 breachers in tidewall shield lines, I think, is suddenly very threatening because mm. the enemy really doesn't want that to get close. And they also can't really tie it up because um, they can just keep shooting. So it's like it's sort of a, a nightmare scenario of like having your front infantry line get closed in on by creatures that are untouchable until you've broken down these walls. Um, and I think people struggle a lot of the time with how to use breachers because mm. they're so short ranged and Tau don't like to get that close. So I think this is a way to do it. I think this is like one of the safer ways to run breachers. If you're someone who really loves breachers, but you're just like, Oh, they just get killed every time. They never do anything. Mm. Um, or I put them in devil fishes and I run them forward. The devil fish blows up and then they just shoot the breachers and kill them. Um, or the breaches jump out and they shoot and then they just die. It's like, this is a way to keep them safe uh, in a in a structure that people don't want to have to shoot at, but also will have to deal with if the breaches start getting close because they actually are a very serious threat at very close range. Hmm. No, that's um, it's a sound tactic, I'd say, um, to use them um, in that res- in, in that fashion. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, and obviously, kind of, yeah, touching on the gun rig side of it. Yeah, I completely agree with the supremacy railgun. It's, um, it is that heavy too. That really does it. Yeah. Uh, a strength ten as well. Yeah, it is the one that needs to be on the hammerhead uh, and just isn't. It's, it's, it's the railgun we deserve, <laughs> <laughs> but not the one we have right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a Batman of. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's the dark night of the town. Yeah, it's a dark night of realm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it. Yeah, it's, it's 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 the one we deserve, and not the one we need, because it's just <laughs> where it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, it is. It's uh, it, it, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely. I'd say, I mean, like you said, it's just like you will probably take a a, a title much before I will. Um, yeah. On that. No, though, um, the one thing that would maybe take them is it is the gun rig side of things because it just is that it's, it's that sheer firepower it has. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's hard not to just go even just a little bit, just have that twinge and go, oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's it is a cool thing. I mean, one thing I wanted to ask you about, though, I mean, having the fact that you got one, uh, yeah. I'm not sure if you play with that side of it as well very much, but what do you think about the drone port, though? So I have a drone port as part... You know, the, I don't know if you remember, they sold a huge box that had, like, every piece yeah. of it in it. It has, like, three of the of the shield walls, and then it has, like, a drone port and a gun rig. Um, and then one of the discs that's just like not anything like it's, it's just, yeah. it's just the disc to connect them, um, which is super awesome. Uh, and the whole thing looks so cool together. Um, but the drone port, honestly, in the, in like game term rules, I haven't used it. Um, that isn't to say that it's not useful though. I mean, like, I think that Gun drones are actually a very good option, like no matter your army when you're playing Tau. Um, 
just because, as we've said before, I have pretty much exclusively marker light drones in my list. I actually put a ton of faith in gun drones too. And um, I think that basically that being said, they're one of those units that like the more you have, it's just, it just gets better. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like there, there isn't really a way to pour too many points into gun drones and then be like, Oh, my army doesn't function well now. I think um, as long as you're synergizing, as long as you have drone controllers and um, you know, you're keeping their ballistic skill up and you're augmenting them with marker light support. I think that gun drones are so good and they provide so much firepower for like how many points a drone is. Um, it's just crazy. I think the drone port, it just wasn't something that I needed in that game that I did play it with, with the Tidewall, but there's no reason I wouldn't take one like theoretically. Mm. Um, I think that it's, it's, it's basically, you're just taking, like the disc part of the of the shield wall, but you're just also taking four drones. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I feel like there isn't much to say about it in 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 terms of like how particularly unique it is. But I think that in general, the more drones, the happier a tau player will be. So. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I have nothing. I have no complaints about it. I think like if you're already in the realm of considering the tide wall, the uh, the drone component is as valid as any other part of it. Yeah, I suppose it's like um, the way the way to probably use it would be it's 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 that quick, easy reinforcement that you can just release. Yes, exactly. Like it, it's um, the same way. It's sort of just uh, the the same thing we were talking about with the sun shark just having two drones that can drop off. And I think that is, again, it's one of the super unique things about Tau that other books don't have is these drones, the ability for their vehicles to essentially like detach small units off of them. Mm -hmm. um, basically no one else can do that. And the Tau can do it everywhere, left, right, and center. They have the ability to augment their numbers with drones. And the ability to do that, I think, is is like an unquantifiably good thing. Um, the the utility is like almost limitless uh, in in terms of like if you need to cap an objective suddenly that you have no other means to get to late game, or if you need to suddenly give a unit that sort of like to make them be able to eat a las cannon shot or something. Mm -hmm. um, or if you need to quickly just augment your overwatch ability or intercept something, get between a target and something else, it's like no one else has access to that. Mm -hmm. um, it really is a completely unique to the Tau thing. And uh, the, sort of the closest thing I can think of, and this is still completely different, is the way uh, Gene Stealer characters can like basically be protected by any of their infantry? Yeah. Um, like if they're uh, sorry, Gene Stealer cult characters. Like specifically, if if any of their things with the character keyword are near something with like the infantry keyword, any of them can count as like a bodyguard unit that can intercept a shot, which yeah. is is really cool. Mm -hmm. um, 
but that still is so much less utilitarian than the drone thing because drones that's just one thing drones can do drones can do like a dozen things and you know the fact that they're just a unit like if if everything is just tied up in a big fight but there's an objective off to the side and both players need it the person who has two drones that can pop off and go and do that is going to get it Mm. and the other person isn't going to have the same options um it just it gives you so many squads technically in your army Mm. um and and i think that that only just dramatically increases your flexibility all the time no i agree and it is it's one of those i mean um yeah, I mean, for exactly the reasons you stated. Uh, I mean, even Gene Sealer Colts, it can only, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's only against the characters. And when right. when drones can do that, literally, to just whatever, it can just yeah. maybe, I'll take that. Uh, you know, one one for the team, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's perfect. I suppose actually thinking about it, and again, I just, I don't see the utility, but what it does do is you have got the use of reinforcement in for something that you can actually carry a lot of um, infantry in mm-hmm. again is mobile um again kind of you know the opponent has to deal with that and the, and the drone port being toughness seven or ten wounds four up save makes your infantry more survivable again yep. um the fact that again while I, I, actually i'm just reading it so the drone control system so it's got four drones yep. which you can pick whatever um if there's a friendly infantry unit involved on the drone port, um, then you can detach from the drone port troops to separate units. While it's embarked, tactical drones activate this way, use the unit's ballistic skill. So again, you're also giving those reserve drones essentially 10 wounds, a toughness seven, and plus one to their ballistic skill. Yeah. It's like you have a drone controller built into the console. Yeah. Basically, uh, yeah, because I mean, obviously, you'd have a squad of infantry up there, so it just makes it an even more devastating um, prospect to, you know, um, charge, charge, charge that fortification and try and take it down. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it makes it quite a. Um, while it's a big point sink, it's um, you know you really will be strengthening your gun line um, in such a huge way. Um, yeah. Yeah, just just in sheer survivability terms. Um, yeah, so I think all of this combined, and the fact that it can throw some firepower back in the form of um, you know more wounds on those saves to six for the shield lines, the fact it's got you know the rail gun that the town deserve. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, sorry, the 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 rail gun that they need. Another one that's uh, I don't know whichever way you want. I can't. <laughs> yeah. We all know that one. It's fine. Whatever yeah. Jim Gordon said at the end. Yeah, whatever, whatever Jim said, it's gold. Uh, yeah. That's fine. Um, but yeah. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's good. I, I st- is it enough for me to use? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say no. Yeah, uh, well, it just doesn't It doesn't make sense with your army. I mean... Yeah. And that is the only reason why. It's not, yeah. it's not uh, an interesting prospect to potentially have. It's just... It would be such a radical change um, in how I play play my town, how I enjoy playing them. It's just, yeah, it's just not for me. But right. that's, you know, it's, it's part of what makes the hobby awesome. It's, you know, uh, what works for me doesn't necessarily work for the other person. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And it also speaks so much to, I think, the internal balance of the codex that 
you don't feel pressured into taking good choices because you have other good choices you can choose from. Yeah, and never you know, a thing. <laughs> right. And, and, and some books really are restricted, I think, into being like, oh, there's basically one build you can do, maybe two. And that's the only way you're going to ever find success with this, this army. In, in the case of the Tau, there are so many ways to build a list and there are so many valid data sheet options. Um, I think that obviously Tau aren't considered like top tier competitive as a mono build, but so few things are. I mean, the meta basically only ever has like one thing at the top. So yeah. if you're not talking about that, then you're talking about a loser. And that's how the meta works in tournament lists. But if you're talking about normal games at your friendly local gaming store or in the comfort of your own home, even if it's people that want to play hard, there are, there are so many options in this book that are awesome. And, um, and not every codex has access to that. Like, you know, and, and also I think it speaks to because uh, the way we've described every unit and why it's good is because of how it works with other units, which is such a unique thing about the Tau again. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I've said this so many times, but it's such an important thing to reinforce about them is that their, their strength completely lies in that sort of communal sense of everything synergizing together and working together for the greater good. Yeah. Um, and that reflects itself in the rules, which I think is why this is my favorite Tau Codex, is that it feels more than ever to have that level of internecine, you know, uh, intertextuality between units. And that's such a rare thing. I mean, when you look at the Eldar, we're talking about Eldar and how powerful they are and how they get things that other people don't. Mm. Eldar, that's true, but Eldar function in that, like, you can take a single unit and it just has all this duality and it's so powerful on its own. A Hemlock doesn't need support. A Hemlock is so good because it can do everything and it's one unit. Yeah. Um, and where the Tau are powerful is that they have three things that combine together to do something that's incredible. Yeah. And that is what I love about the Tau. They're, they're very cerebral in that way, I think, to be utilized uh, to maximum effect. But uh, it's so rewarding when a, when a plan like that pays off. And I think you have to put more into it than you do with some other armies. And that's, to me, that's part of the fun of playing Tau. It's not like you're, just, you're not just charging at the enemy, and you're also not just standing there and shooting. You're, you have to... You have to think about it. You have to think about how everything is coordinating. You have to think about like the sequence of shooting and what's going to shoot first, what's going to shoot next. You kind of have to like lay out this whole battle plan. And that feels very Tau-like to me anyway. Their whole philosophy of combat, their whole obsession with drilling tactics. It's, it's less about like we're going to make our individual soldiers be like gen enhanced and and able to you know make impossible shots and stuff it's like yeah. you know we're all just tau but we we drill with such professionalism and so constantly that as an army we function so like a giant basically like one giant organism mm -hmm. and uh i just love that about them i think it's so cool
Yeah, and it's, it's very unique to their play style. And the fact that we got that throughout, I mean, the one thing that is prevalent is exactly as you said, just to parrot it back, it's, um, you know, it is that synergy that's prevalent throughout. And yeah. it is there, even as we've discovered today, in quite unlooked for kind of, you know, combinations. And um, it is just everywhere in the decks. And that's the true strength. And the fact that um, the decks reflects that and um, plays to how they would be in the fluff yep. it is um, just the reflection of a very well-written codex. Exactly. Uh, that really kind of does um, not just emulate how they should play um, fluff-wise, um, but also how they are. Um, and I'd argue, you know, it's just like no other, no other army has that. Um, I think either, you know, or even comes close. Yeah. Uh, um, and it does make for, yeah, just a unique play style that I, I personally just never get bored with. Um, I know that I haven't played with um, um, my towel recently, um, but that's only because I've just kind of finished off the back of another army. Right. Um, but it's always been my go-to. Um, it's my first army. It's my favorite army. And I will never get bored of... Um, I would never get bored of playing with them. Um, they're just they're just too good, um, and just have too many options versatility that you can just change a list ever so slightly, um, and just make stuff sing. Um, and that's kind of part of the fun for me in a game. It's taking something that might not necessarily be, you know, on paper that winning kind of like I must take this, you know, like you get with the elder, you know, right. with the hemlocks, or you know. Uh, Dark Reapers when that was a thing you know yep. it's like so there's that one unit that can just do stuff right um, everything in the Tau decks can do stuff it's just using those combinations in the right way um, okay. and but, it, but, but it's there throughout um, yeah can't, can't state it enough it's just uh, gives it a very unique um, and granular depth yeah, that, that is just rewarding for anyone. So if you can take any from this, uh, I mean, if you're already a Tau player, um, you know, I mean, you know what we're talking about anyway. <laughs> if not, then hopefully um, these, you know, if you if you've sat through and listened to us ramble enough about this, it should tempt you. Hopefully, <laughs> exactly. it's joined the greater good. Uh, you know, it's uh, if it, it is, it's. Um, yeah, um, I, yeah, I, I, you you've covered it already. Really, it's just um, it's, it's it's an amazing army um, and something that I'm just never going to get bored of. Yeah, no, it's I agree on all points, and I, that's a great I think wrap up. Uh, not only to this episode, but also this book. Uh, mm-hmm. This whole series has been, I think, just a uh, a testament to how much we love this this faction and how impressed we are with the rules writers in this edition for creating a rule set that feels so true to life to the the fishy boys that we know and love and making them truly feel exactly the way that they should uh in a in a crunchy way yeah uh, to match their their awesome unique narrative um because they really are such a unique force within the world of 40k and 
I think that you and I both appreciate them for how unique they are. And, um, yeah, I just think it's great. I think it's super great. And, um, I think that that's, that's pretty much it. I think this was sort of a a very long love letter to uh, (laughs) this book. And, uh, I hope that you guys have all enjoyed, uh, this topic that we've discussed at length for hours now. (laughs) And, um, in the future, we'll have so much more to talk about. So, uh, once again, if you are in the discord, please, uh, throw us your suggestions. We have so much, I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface of things we could talk about. Mm. So, uh, and if this series hasn't taught you anything by now, it's, we can talk. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely can talk. Um, so yeah, um, it's, it's uh, the kind of thing where we are basically always looking for an excuse to communicate with each other. Yeah. And um, you'll only be helping us do that by uh, suggesting a topic for us to discuss. Um, so that being said, uh, that concludes our discussion of the Tau Codex. And um, in that regard... Thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much, Noel, for coming with me on this journey through the book. Always a pleasure, dude. Always a pleasure. And for me as well. And uh, to all of you out there, thank you so much. And until next time, bye. Stay awesome.